Jeremiah 37 and verse 17. Then Zedekiah the king sent and took him out of the... And the king asked him secretly in the house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, There is. Is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, There is. Now turn over to Ezekiel, please. Ezekiel chapter 14. And then after this we're turning to Acts chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 6. Take your time and find the place. Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 6. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent. Now just turn with me over to Acts chapter 8, please, and leave your Bible open there. And we'll be turning to a few verses in the course of the meeting. When Zedekiah, the king of Judah, came to the prophet Jeremiah, the people of Israel were in a crisis hour. The enemy had surrounded Jerusalem and they were besieged. And I believe this morning that the crises are that Zedekiah was in is very like the crises are that the Church of Northern Ireland is in, the Church of Jesus Christ in Northern Ireland. She was in a crises hour way back in Jeremiah's day. And the word that came from the king's mouth was, is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah and Ezekiel were prophets at the same time, in the same period. And I believe the word that came from God to Ezekiel is the word that would come from God to our heart this morning in the Church of Jesus Christ here in Northern Ireland in the crisis hour. The word of God that came to Ezekiel in the 6th verse of the 14th chapter was one word. And it's one word that is burnt in my heart all week. And this one word I trust this morning that will burn in your heart. It was the word that came through the prophet Ezekiel, repent, repent. And I believe in the day in which we are living, that's the exact same word that we as the people of God need today. Repent. Harry Aaron said, that great expositor of a bygone day, said, I am fully persuaded that the doctrine of repentance is the missing note in our evangelical fundamental churches today. And he said that back in 1937. And I believe, dear friends, this morning, us as the people of God, evangelicals, we need again a baptism of repentance. We need a baptism of honesty before God. That was the first message that John the Baptist came with as he stood in the wilderness and preached. A spirit-anointed man sent by God 
with a face like a lion and a voice like a trumpet, he stood in the wilderness of Judea to call the people of God back from their sin. And over the hills and through the valleys of Judea cried one word, Repent! 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 After 400 years of silence, one word from heaven, repent. That was the message that the Lord Jesus started his earthly ministry with in Matthew 4. After 40 days in the wilderness being tempted of the devil, he came out and stood in the villages of, of Galilee, and he cried, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was the message that the apostle preached at the birth of the church. On the day of Pentecost, when they came out of the upper room filled with the Spirit of the living God, their message to a dying world was not believe, not trust, was repent. And they'd seen over 3,000 souls saved in one day. And whenever men and women were listening to Peter in the day of Pentecost, it says that their hearts were pricked and they cried out, What shall we do? What shall we do? And I wonder would that be the cry of some soul in the meeting this morning. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do I need to do to get right with God? Well, here was the word that Peter gave to the people on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. It was the message that Paul preached whenever he went into Athens. It was there where he stood before all intellectual geniuses of the day. And he stood a small man and his bodily presence was weak and his speech was contemptible. And he stood on Mars Hill and this is what he said. The times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Repentance. Alan Redpath, that great preacher of a bygone day, said repentance is the most prominent truth in the New Testament and yet the most neglected. Without it, souls can't be saved. And you know, dear friends, our gospel preaching today, we tell men and women to believe. We tell men and women to trust. We tell men and women to put up their hand or make a decision. But the early church knew nothing of it. The cry was, repent and be converted. It was Peter that said, he said in his epistle, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if you're in this meeting this morning and you're not saved, your praying will not do it. Your pain will not do it. Going to church will never do it. Just trusting in Jesus, making a little commitment will never save your soul. The truth would come to your heart this morning. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Whenever the Lord Jesus stood in Luke's Gospel 13, this is what he said. He said, except ye repent, ye perish. Perish. And you know, dear friend, this morning, if you're here and you're not saved, you could have everything else. But if you don't repent, you'll perish. It was the old preachers that used to cry, you either turn or you burn. That's some message, isn't it? And that was the cry that was out over the centuries. Whenever Finney took a message or a mission, he preached ten weeks on repentance. 
and then gave men and women on the eleventh week the mighty message of the gospel. Without repentance, souls can never be saved. Without repentance, saints can never go on. And I'm convinced that many of us in Northern Ireland as believers, we think that we only had to repent once, and that's enough. Many of us can look back to a day in our life when we got down on our knees and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed God. Will you come into my heart? Will you save me? And we got up off our knees, children of the living God. But friends, repentance doesn't stop there. It's only the start. Whenever Peter says in 1 Peter 4 and 17, he said the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. You know, we're very good at hammering men and women about abortion. We're very good at pointing the finger at men and women living in sodomy. We're very good at pointing the faults and the flaws in the world. But let me tell you this this morning. God's problem is not with the world. God's problem is with you and I in the church. And the message that came down through the centuries of time was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Friends, we're living in an hour that is a dark hour, a late hour. The time is short. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Whenever R.A. Torrey used to take his campaigns in America, he used to have a big banner, 20 foot long, 10 foot high. And it had on it these words, Get right with God. Get right with God. And I want to ask you a question this morning as a servant of God. Are you right this morning with the Lord? Are you right with the Lord? And I say it again, the greatest need among us is a baptism of repentance. To be honest before God. To strip away all the facade and all of the show and get down before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to know what you think of me. Past all of the cliches and phrases and past all of the rhetoric and formality and religion, to say, Lord, will you search me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Now you say to me, Stephen, you've told us a little about the importance of repentance. But Stephen, I want you to tell me what it means to repent. Well, I want to tell you what it's not. Repentance is not just confessing your sin. And we at times are very good at confessing or saying, Lord, I've done it again. I've done it again. But that's not what repentance is. It's not feeling sorry for the consequences of sin. You could go down into McGilligan this morning. Go down through the cells and knock on the door and open the door and you'll find a man in there and he, he's been caught out. Caught in a sin. And he's sorry that he's been caught, but that's not repentance. And you know, so many of us can be sorry just because we've been caught. That's not it. It's not feeling sorry for the consequences of sin. It's not being sorry for the outcome of sin. And you know, we don't lose our salvation whenever we sin. No, we don't. But I tell you, there's some things that we can lose. We don't hear much about it today. As children of God, if we're involved in willful disobedience against our Creator, our Savior, this is what you'll lose. You can lose your joy. So that's what happened, is it? Is that why many of us are dry and barren and cold? No joy. You not only can lose your joy, you can lose your peace. Peace. You know what it is to lie in bed at night 
and my to know nothing of the peace of God in your heart out of fellowship with God. I know of nothing more, more tragic in the life of a believer than to be saved and on your way to heaven and out of fellowship with God. No longer to hear the voice of the Savior. No longer to hear the voice of the one that loved you and died for you, shed his precious blood. Now you can lose your peace and you can lose your joy. You can lose your testimony. Many men and women in our churches today, no testimony. No testimony. Couldn't go to a next door neighbor and invite them to the meeting. No testimony. Diddling the books. Slandering their neighbors. No testimony. But not only can you lose your joy and lose your peace and lose your testimony. Let me tell you this. We don't hear much of it today. You can lose your life. In 1 Corinthians 11, you'll discover there was men and women that came around the Lord's table and they didn't discern the Lord's body. They were drinking the wine and taking the bread just because it was a thing to do. God came in judgment. And there was those that died. And there was those that were sick. And I remember saying to one of the men here a number of years ago, if God was to come among us in mighty power on a Sunday morning, there could be a row of horses out in that car park on a Sunday morning. Not discerning the Lord's body. My, we could sit and take a table and be thinking about cricket or golf or work or money. It's very dangerous. And one of the convictions that has burnt into my heart in recent days that we have lost the seriousness of sin in the eyes of God. And we can look at the world. We can look at the prostitute. We can look at the drug addict. We can look at the drunkard. We can look at the man and woman that's in the boogie shop. But friend, I want to say this morning, it's time that we as the people of God and Ulster were honest and open. That's what repentance is not. It's not feeling sorry because you've been caught out. It's not feeling sorry because of the outcome of sin. It's not just confessing your sin. Repentance is turning from sin. To abhor that which is evil and to cleave to that which is good. To flee from the very appearance of evil. You know, if you were walking down through a supermarket with a trolley and some of you women be in there and you'd be piling all your, all your goods in whenever your husband's not there. Pile it all in. Take his bank card and then pay for it at the end of the day. But you know, if you were walking through Tesco's or Asda and some man came up with a kilo of TNT plastic explosive and dropped it into your little trolley, there's one thing you wouldn't do. You wouldn't continue to push it on. My, you would push that trolley as far away from you and you would run. Now tell me this, we would do it with a bomb, but we'll not do it with sin. And there's many of us and we flirt with sin. There's many of us that we see how far we can go before we get bit. There's many of us play like, with it like fire. We see how close we can get our hand to it before we get burnt. But you see, dear friends, the day you and I as children of God, those of us that are saved, get a holy hatred in our heart for sin, there's one thing that we will do. We'll run. We'll run. Whenever we realize the very sin that we flirt with was the very sin that Christ died on a cross to save us from. The very sin that we may be watching television. The very thing that nailed the blessed hands of Christ to the cross. We'll flee. 
Paul told young Timothy to flee. Flee youthful lust. You know, there's many of us, and I've done it myself for years, just live in a circle of confession and sin round and round. No victory. My, you, do, you commit some willful sin and say, Lord, I've done it again. Maybe a day or two later, you're at it again. Round and round. Just like a wee hamster in a wheel. Round and round and round. We can go to our church and sing our hymns and round and round and round. Just confession, defeat, confession, defeat, round, round. No one else knows anything about it, but we're just going round. Oh, I want to say that whenever you and I get a holy hatred for sin, we'll not go around, we'll flee. Flee from it. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived before the Lord Jesus stepped on the scene, he said, He who covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth them and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And every single one of us are very good at covering over. You'll remember whenever Moses killed the, the soldier, the Egyptian soldier. My, he, he killed him and he buried him in the sand. And I wonder what you're burying this morning. And we can bury it behind a hallelujah and an amen. We can hide it behind all of the activity that we do. But down in the sand, just like Moses, there's something there and God knows it's there. Because Moses said, this thing is known of the Lord. And many of us, can we can hide and cover over you. Remember Achan? My Achan, the mighty soldier, he went into Jericho and he seen the gold in the Babylonian garments. My, he would have looked this way and looked that way and put it into his pocket and ran home and put it under his tent. Joshua didn't even know. His wife didn't even know. But the God of heaven knew. Oh, friend, this morning, preacher included in this meeting, my, if we were all led naked and bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do, I'll tell you there'd be less pride in the church in Ulster. Every single one of us open before the Lord and a daily prayer of mine is this, Lord, expose everything in my life that's a grief to God. Bring it out into the light, Lord. Bring everything, Lord, that's hidden in the cupboards, every skeleton in the past. Lord, bring it out in the open. I wonder what your skeleton is this morning. I wonder what's hidden in the ground like Achan. What's covered over like with the sand like Moses. Well, the key to the whole situation is this, repent. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment that you and I get a holy disdain for our sin. My, wasn't it young McShane? He cried, Lord, make me as holy as is possible for a sea of sinner to be. Make me a man of God. Make me a man that's clean and pure and transparent, Lord. Oh, God, I don't want anything between. Friends, that's where we need to get to. You see, we can keep our churches open during lockdown and we can come and we can think we're big fellas. But let me tell you this, friends, unless we're right with God, we're a grief. We're a grief to the Spirit of God. Now in Acts chapter 8, and I want to give you three things that you and I may, not, may need to repent of this morning. Turn to Acts chapter 8 and you cast your eye on down the chapter to verse 9. And Philip, the young evangelist, was in Samaria. And he went and preached unto them Christ. You'll find that at the end of verse 5. He preached unto them Christ. 
And he's seen a mighty move of God. There were souls were saved. Miracles were performed. The sick were healed and the bound were released. And there was a man called Simon in verse 9. He was a sorcerer. He was a man that was involved in witchcraft and in the occult. And if you cast your eye on down to verse 13, it says that Simon himself believed. And not only did he believe, but he was baptized and he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. And you can see down in Samaria, Philip's going down and he's preaching the gospel. Men and women living in sin and immorality and all the rest of it. And the Spirit of God begins to work in Samaria. Men and women are saved and healed and delivered. And God is glorified. And this man, Simon the saucer, he makes a profession of faith. It says there in verse, verse 13, he believed and was baptized and he continued. Now cast your eye down to verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Verse 21. And Peter said, Thou hast neither part nor lot in the matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Listen to this. Repent. Repent. Therefore of this thy wickedness. Now here was Simon the saucer in Samaria. Seen God at work. Seen souls saved, men and women delivered. And he makes a profession of faith. And he continues with Peter and he even gets baptized. But there was one thing that marked the life of Simon the saucer was this, and it's an awful word. It was the word hypocrisy. Now, just hold on this morning. Don't worry about anybody beside you. Just hold on. Simon the sorcerer, he made a false profession of faith. He knew the right things to do. He knew the right words to say. But there was no reality. It was all a show and a spiritual veneer. And whenever Peter the apostle looked into the eyes of Simon, he said this, he said, your heart is not right in the sight of God. And God was looking into this man's heart. God was looking down into the life of Simon the saucer, and he knew that it was all a show. He knew that it was all a performance. The psalmist said, The Lord knoweth the secrets of the heart. In Acts one twenty four, the apostles could stand and they prayed, Thou, Lord, that knowest the hearts of all men. And my dear friend, at this very moment as we're in this hall, the eye of God is upon every single one of us. The eye of the Creator that we were singing about earlier on, great is thy faithfulness. The Creator, the Sustainer, at this very moment, is gazing into your heart and my heart. Not worried about the outward appearance just at the moment, but into the heart now. And as he looked down into Samaria, he saw this man and he, could, he knew that his heart was not right in the sight of God. He was marked by deception. It was all a performance and all a show. And I want to ask a question this morning. Are you depending on a false profession? 
And maybe after Alan has preached the gospel night after night, there's that wee, that wee niggling in the back of your mind. I wonder, have I really got it? And then the enemy will come and he says, well, you go to church, you've been baptized, and you've done all the right things. Surely you've got it. Well, here is a man, and he's done most, more than most believers today. He was baptized and he continued. But friend, he wasn't right with God. And here was a man that was exposed under the X-ray eyes of the Almighty. You'll remember whenever Samuel went down to anoint David. You'll remember Eliab stood before Samuel. He says, Surely I have seen the Lord's anoint. And the Lord said to Samuel, Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looks into the heart. And oh, how convicted I have been during the week that every moment of the day, every step that I take, every thought that goes through my mind, every action of my hands is under the scrutiny of a holy God. And we can hide it from one another. We can hide it from our wives and from our children and even from the church. But under the eye of the almighty God, I wonder is there any Simons here this morning? I wonder if the Lord was to come and walk down your pew. I wonder would he tap you in the shoulder and say, you're not right. You're not right. You see, he was exposed. You know that old word hypocrisy? It's an awful word. It wouldn't matter who says it to you. It wouldn't matter if a wee man came to you in a nice suit and he said it in a real nice tone of voice. It would still offend you. It would still offend. You see, dear friends, that word comes way back from the Greek theatres. Whenever men were standing on the stage... And they would play a part, they would have a mask in front of their face and they would play maybe the part of a Caesar. And the whole crowd would roar and they would shout and they would chant. And then the scene would change and the man would go behind the scenes and he would come out with a different mask on. And the crowd, they would cry and they say, we know who you are, we know who you are. It's only a mask that you've got on. And they used to cry the word, hypocrite. 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 I tell you, dear friends, this morning again, I wonder is there many of us this morning would fall under that category. Hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Boy, is it dear that convicts my own heart. You see, dear friends, it's bad enough in the world, but it's in the church. You'll remember whenever the Lord Jesus stood and looked into the eyes of the Pharisees, he said that you give to be seen. My, he said, whenever they stand in the synagogue, they blow the trumpet and they hold their money up and then they drop it into the box. He said they will have the reward. And not only do they give to be seen, but they pray to be heard. Man standing to his feet in the prayer meeting and say, Lord, and all the time be talking to God, and all the time be seeking for an amen or a hallelujah to some, some man in the meeting. I'll tell you, friends, it's the height of hypocrisy. And I've been guilty of it many a time. To stand there and say, Lord, will you move in our land? Will you save in mighty power? Just to get an amen. Quote some verse of scripture that hardly anybody's read for years. Somebody say, I wonder where you read that all get an amen and a hallelujah and all the time the Lord can be looking down through the roof into your heart and say your heart's not right in the sight of God. You remember the Lord Jesus turned to the Pharisees and he says you're like a whited sepulcher. He says you're so lovely on the outside, you're beautiful to men's appearance, you've got absolutely everything right, you've got your T's crossed, your eyes dotted, you're absolutely wonderful. 
But he said, inside you're full of dead men's bones, full of uncleanness. And I wonder this morning, oh, I ask it to my own heart, Lord, what do you think of me? Am I just like a whited sepulcher, lovely in the outside, clean and everything right, but inside full of dead men's bones, full of uncleanness? Lord, will you throw the light into my life? Expose, Lord, everything. That's a grief to God. You remember Judas. For three and a half years, he played along with the disciples. He carried the bag. He did everything right. He seen the, the dead raised. He seen the lepers healed. He seen men and women turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the upper room, whenever the Lord Jesus said, there's one of you going to betray me, they didn't even know who it was. Ah, he was some play actor, wasn't he? He wasn't even suspected. But the Lord Jesus Christ knew. You remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts, 8, or Acts 5? sorry, And they came in before the apostles and they were pretending that they were giving all their money over to the Lord. And they came in and Ananias came in and he put his hand into his pocket and pulled out the bag and he says, there's the whole thing. That's it all. And Peter looked into his eyes and this is what he said, why hast thou conceived this in thine heart to lie against God? Hypocrisy. And I want to ask a question this morning. Who of us here is guilty of it? Who of us here this morning under the eye of God is guilty of the very same thing that Simon the saucer was guilty? Hypocrisy. You know, if we're involved in slandering other believers, it's hypocrisy. I had a man ring me one time. And he rang me in the phone. And he, he blew me up and down. I'll never forget it. Oh, he says, Stephen, you're a mighty man. He told me every lie under the sun. And you know, dear friend, he, he says, oh, Stevie, you're a mighty man of God. He put his phone into the pocket and he was talking to his mother and I heard the conversation. And you know, dear friends, he slandered me. He slandered me from Dungannon to Cookstown. You see, dear friends, God has got a voicemail. God has got a voicemail. And I wonder what voicemail recordings he would have of you. You see, if there is, you know what would come to her heart? Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent. Repent. Repent! Get right with God! And I would feel that there's many of us just need to put a break in all of our activity all of our doing, all of our serving, and get right with God. Because it's only then that we'll see blessing. It's only then that we'll see a move and manifestation of the Spirit. Whenever we hate those things that grieve Him and quench Him and hinder Him from moving. You know, it's a very hypocritical, critical thing to shake somebody's hand in the meeting and say, it's good to see you. And then go out into the car park and talk about it. It's a very hypocritical thing to say something about a church or a leader or about anyone else. And then behind their backs, slander them up and down. And friend, while they may never know and while they may never find out all the time, the ears of the Almighty God have been recording. The ears of God and the hand of God has been writing down every word. There's coming a day when it all will be exposed. And the only way to get rid of it is repent.
Turn. Flee. We need a baptism of sincerity. Wasn't that the cry of the psalmist, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And has not lifted up a soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. I wonder, are you a Simon this morning? And unbeknownst to anyone else, you're not real. And unbeknownst to anyone else, it's just an old, dead, empty profession. And you go home from the meetings and you feel barren and cold and empty. And you know that you're not saved. Not real. Friends, what an awful thing would it be to sing the hymns and be in church and maybe even be baptized and go to the Lord's table. And then death come. The car accident come. COVID come. My, you open your eyes and you're in the lost eternity and you say, Lord, Lord, I played along for years. Bertie Johnson thought it was real. Stephen Riddle thought it was real. My father and my mother thought it was real. But oh, I'm lost, I'm lost. It's all a show. You see, dear friends, in Matthew 7, there's those that will be there. Because the Lord Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom. And they'll knock on the door of heaven and say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And in your name done many wonderful works. Then I will profess unto them. I never knew. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And the cry that will come down from the heart of God this morning is repent. Friends, this is not a game. This is not just a lifestyle. This is not just something that we do, other men of football and other men of golf and rugby, and we have our religion. Friends, that's not it. This is eternity's values and view. And my, every one of us are going to stand before our Creator and give an account. And the books will be open. And there's one word Stephen Riddle doesn't want to be there. Hypocrite. I don't want that word to be there. And I want to live in an attitude of repentance and honesty before the Lord. Quickly turn over with me to Revelation chapter 2. There's some of us here, we maybe need to repent of hypocrisy. But in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to see in a moment that there may be something else that we need to repent of. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12, please. Revelation 2 and verse 12. And to the angel of the church at Pergamos write these things, saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. And this is the Lord Jesus that's speaking. And he has the sword in his hand. And you'll know the sword is the word of God. And the word of God pierces and discerns and divides. And I trust the word will get into your heart this morning as it's got into my heart. Just like a sword. And the Lord Jesus said in verse 13, I know thy works. And where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast to my name. You can see their firmness. These men and women in Pergamos had a mighty hold on the, on the grip, a grip on the truth of the word of God. They stood firm for truth and for doctrine. 
But not only does he tell us about their firmness, he tells us something a bit, a bit about their faithfulness. And he says, has not denied the faith. He said, you men and women in Pergamos, you stand firm and you haven't denied. And then he mentions their fearlessness. He says, Antipas, my faithful martyr. And you can see these believers in Pergamos, where Satan's seat was, it was a satanical stronghold in Asia. And somewhere down in the side street of Pergamos, there was a little company of God's people that were called from darkness unto light. And down in the little side street somewhere, they used to meet and remember the Lord. And God had a word for that little assembly. He said right to the elder, to the ministering elder, and tell them, I know your works. I know your firmness and your faithfulness and your fearlessness. That's some commendation, isn't it? But then he goes on. If you cast your eye down to verse 14, he says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them there that hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and commit fornication. And way back in Numbers chapter 22, it was Balaam that was sent to curse the children of Israel. And whenever he couldn't curse them, he told the king of Moab, he says, what you do is you get your daughters and you work them in among the children of Israel. And they polluted the people and drew them to idolatry. Got their eyes off God and brought them onto idols. But then he goes on in the end, the end of verse 14, he says, and to commit fornication. You know, there's some of us here this morning may have to repent of hypocrisy. But I wonder, is there some of us here need to repent of immorality? You see this word fornication here at the end of verse 14. In the Greek, it's the word porneo. Now, just listen to this. Porneo. It's where we get our word today, pornography. And there was those in the church in Pergamos and they were firm and they were fearless and they were faithful. But there was those among them that were filthy. And the Lord Jesus said in verse 13, I know. The elder didn't know. The deacons didn't know. The other church members didn't know. But God says, I know. I know all about it. You see, dear friends, this word fornication as I've already said to you, it's the word where we get pornography. Pornography. A poll was done recently of the evangelical church in the West. And it said that 68% of men in the evangelical church born again are involved in pornography. 68%. Now if I was up here with a stone, and I wouldn't have a stone, but if I was to throw a stone at some of you men, I wonder what it hit would you be involved in pornography? Whenever the wife goes to bed and the girlfriend's away and you get down in the midnight hour and you're maybe lying in your bed and you're looking through your phone and just a few clicks of the thumb. Porneo. Porneo. And the word from God to your heart this morning it says, I know. I know. Your wife doesn't know. Bertie doesn't know. Stephen Riddle doesn't know. God knows. He says, I know. You see, that word porneo is not only uh, pornography, and not only was there 68% of men at it in the church, 
But it, the poll said there was 25% of women in it and 50% of pastors. God help us. Is there any but wonder there's no power? Is there any but wonder the world's laughing at us? Is it anyone wonders souls are not being saved when we're diddling at filth on the television or on our phone? Oh, I want to say to your friends, let me say it from a heart that's broken this morning. God knows all about it. God knows all about it. We can hide it from one another, but we cannot hide it from God. Not only is it the word pornography, but it's sex outside of marriage. Now just hold on. I have no pleasure in preaching this. A sexual activity that's unnatural. Sexual activity that God does not approve of. And friend, let me say this to you. If it was in the church at Pergamos, it's in the church of Northern Ireland. It may even be here. And the word that came from heaven was just one word. Verse 16, it says, repent. Repent. He says, not only do I know about it, verse 13, look at verse 15, do you see? At the end of verse 15, he says, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And here's something that God would say to you and I as the people of God. I hate it. I wonder do we hate it. Hate the uncleanness and hate the filthiness. And there was only one message, and that was turn back to God. Turn from and friend, if you're in this meeting this morning and you're involved in pornography or adultery or some other unclean sexual activity, you need a turn. You need a turn. Stephen Alford, that mighty man of a, over in America that used to stand and preach in Moody, in the Moody Tabernacle, he told the story of a young man that came to him one day. He was crying. He was a young man in the ministry. And Stephen Alford says he never saw a man cry like it. A young man. Mightily gifted of God. And he sat in Stephen Alford's study and he told him, he says, Mr. Alford, I'm going blind. I'm never going to see again. I'm losing my sight bit by bit, day by day. And in a few weeks' time, I'll not be able to read the Word of God. I'll not be able to preach. I'll not be able to lead men and women to the Lord the way I used to. Stephen Alford said, son, what happened? And that young man got down and tears coming down his eyes. He says, sir, I was in my study one night. I went out of the study and went into the, out into the town. He says, that night I got involved in immorality. And no one else knew anything about it. My wife didn't know. My friends didn't know. But he says, because of what went on that night, he says, I'm going to go blind. You see, God hates it. And you can give out as many tracts and knock as many doors and preach as many sermons. We can go through all the motion, friends. But if we're doing things that God hates, he says, repent. But not only does he say, I hate it, and not only does he say, I know it, if you cast your eye down there to the to verse 17, or verse 16, he says, I will fight against you. And that's the Lord Jesus coming in judgment power. And he says, look, if you men and women in the church of Pergamos don't turn away from your filthiness, don't turn away from your idolatry, he says, I'm going to come and fight against you. 
and the one who knows and the one who sees and the one who hates. He says, I will come and fight. And that's why men and women involved this morning, you need to turn, turn. That's all I can tell you, friends. Turn, turn, turn. Don't get God to fight against you. Throw away your television. Throw away your iPhone. Stop buying the paper. Stop doing whatever you're doing that's getting you involved in sin, but you turn from it. The eye of God knows all about it. But quickly and finally, as a close, in Revelation chapter 2, in cast you out of verse 1, and there's those here this morning, and we may have to repent of hypocrisy. There's those of us here, and we may have to repent of immorality. But you know, in Ephesians chapter, or Revelation chapter 2, in verse 1, the Lord Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus, he told them to repent of their apathy. My here was a group of men and women and they were saved by the grace of God. They were busy in service and they were steadfast in truth. But in verse 4 of chapter 2 of Revelation, he says, Nevertheless, I have something against thee, that thou hast left your first love. And here was a church at Ephesus and they had absolutely everything right. There was no fault in doctrine. There was no fault in their activity. They were busy for the Lord. They were doing as much as they could. But they had left their first love. They loved their church more than Christ. They loved revival more than the reviver. They loved the message more than the master. They loved the word more than the living word. And they had grown cold in their heart, drawn away from God, away from their first love. And there's so many of them became mechanical, just went through the motions and the ritual of the day. And friends, I wonder how many of us here just fall into that category, lost our first love. We may not be hypocrites and we may not be involved in immorality, but the Lord Jesus is no longer sweet to us. No longer those hours of devotion that we used to spend with him. No no longer that time just listening to him speak to us through his word. No longer just being still at the master's feet. And the world has drawn us away and our hearts are cold and our worship is, is just full of apathy. We can be backslidden and be in church. And here was a church in Ephesus. Men and women that knew the truth. But they had left their first love. And they had gone away out. Their heart had gone to something else. They had replaced the Lord Jesus with something else or someone else. And yet they were so busy. And the Lord Jesus says, I know. And way down in verse 5, he says, remember and repent. Repent. And I want to ask you a question as I close this morning. I trust I haven't been cross or said anything this morning out of the flesh. But I wonder how many of us here have left our first love. Remember those days whenever you were saved, you used to get down on your knees. You used to read the word of God and it used to be like honey. Remember those times whenever you used to cry for the unsaved and you said, oh Lord, this is wonderful. Just fellowship between me and thee. And all was so real. All was so sweet. And now you're just going through the motion. Formality. Still going to church. Still singing the hymns. Still doing the doors. Still doing the open air. Still doing the missions. But down in your heart this morning, the Lord says, I know. He says, I know. I know you're not where you used to be. I know that you're not enjoying me the way you used to enjoy me. 
I know that love has grown cold and there's an apathy and there's a carnality has crept in and there's something that stole your heart away from me. I say to you, dear friends, this morning, there's one thing that we need to do. We need to repent. We need a baptism of repentance. And young William Featherstone, at 12 years of age, for the first time heard the gospel, realized that the Lord Jesus died for him. He went home and he got his pen and he says, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the pleasures of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee. My Jesus, tis now. Can you say that? Can I say that? I love thee because thou first lovest me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on, my, on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. You see, dear friends, God's problem is not with the world. It's not with men and women in Gannon today. It's not with men and women that are in the bookie shop. No, no. It's just you and me. And the eye of God is upon us. And there's some of us has to repent of hypocrisy. Playing along. Praying to be heard. Given to be seen. And the Lord knows all about it. And there's those of us here need to repent of immorality. The midnight hour and the phone and the click of the mouse and the television and the paper. And the pollution in our mind. No one else knows anything about it but the eyes of omnipotence are upon us this morning. And he says, I know. I know. I know. You see, whenever David committed the sin with Bathsheba, he thought he got away with it. For 13 months, everything was well. But there was a man of God came before David one day and he says, you're the man. You're the man. And the cry to the church at Pergamos was repent. Turn. And then there's those of us here. My, we could have everything else right. But if we're full of apathy and cold toward the Lord Jesus this morning, if we just gather around this table out of formality, and maybe you don't even stay. Maybe you just walk on out through the door and the death of Christ means nothing more to you. The one that shed his precious blood. And he'll come alongside you as he did with Peter in, first, in John's Gospel, chapter 21. And he'd say, lovest thou me more than all of these? Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than your work? Do you love me more than the lifeboat? Do you love me more than all of your, your prestige and fame? And you'd have to say, and I would have to say, look, Peter, Lord, thou knowest. Is there any word from the Lord? There is. Repent. 